will you just allow more than just our thought patterns with what we're going to talk about, but truly allow God just to open up and make a deposit, just an impartation. I believe, I believe God wants to increase us. And, I, you know, many times, particularly in the world that we live in and in our Western world society, we hear that word and we think, you know, we start going into uh, almost a temporal perspective of what the world would define as prosperity. But I just want to say God wants to enlarge all of that for us today to understand God wants to increase you. He wants to increase your capacity to know Him. He wants to increase your capacity to be an influencer in this world, uh, to expand God's kingdom. And so I want to just say thank you to you, Destiny family, for being here today. We gather together. You know, you can't go to church, and we understand that. You can only gather as the church because we are the church. You can't go to church. We are the church. And what we want to do is learn to be the church more effectively and the church gathers to worship, and then we go to make an impact and make a difference in our everyday lives. You might not be able to change all the world events going on. How do you know there are a lot of world events going on? You might not be able to have influence on all these world events. Some of you may have that type of influence, but all of us have a measure of influence to the lives that are within our reach, and that's what we need to answer to God for. How are we making a difference to uh, those that are within our reach. And you're, you have this opportunity through social media, through posts and things out of different things that are stirring in your heart and, and our online community. Thank you for joining us and being with us. And God just continues to enlarge that and increase that. So we're so delighted to be connected today. And what we want to do is just continue. We are looking at, this has been kind of an unusual thing, but I've just, personally, I have been rocked to the core we want to grow in understanding the knowledge of God through the pursuit of Scripture. And we are literally taking every single book of the Bible. That means it's going to require 66 weeks to do what we're doing. So we're doing it through different focal points uh, to accomplish all of this. But we're finding where Jesus is in the Bible. And in John chapter 5, Jesus actually makes this statement to the Pharisees. He said, you search the scriptures because you think through them you get eternal life, but the scriptures actually speak of me. Jesus said the scriptures speak of Jesus, but the New Testament had not yet been written because the New Testament was just starting to happen. And so what he's saying is the Old Testament speaks of the Messiah. And this has been incredible because the Old Testament is richly furnished and dimly mixed. Uh, dimly lit. And so what we're doing is trying to expose a little bit of light here and there to discover where Christ is being revealed in each and every book of the Bible. So we're providing context and history. When you're reading your Bibles, my goal as a pastor is not just to come give you nice little encouraging messages. My goal is to empower you to be men and women of the Word, to empower you to be men and women of the Spirit. That's what God's called every one of us to do, to be strong in the Lord, that we might take a bold stand and declare God's kingdom is expanding, and we are the facilitators of that kingdom. So I want you to have your own appetite for Scripture. And so what we're doing in this, you'll be able to go back and take a look and see anytime you're reading your Bible and you get into a book of Scripture you're starting to study, you can go back online and you'll see where Jesus is revealed in all 66 books. You can watch that. Also go to the blog. And, and it goes how much a, a lot further in depth than what we're able to in this. But these five books that we're looking at right now are the books of wisdom and poetry. So we're on this journey together as a church family to grow in the wisdom of God over the course of these next five weeks. And we really want to 
to do that and pursue that. So those five books, uh, we started last week as we journeyed into this, and uh, it was the, the book of Job. And then this week, we're looking into the book of Psalms. And the book is where Jesus is. Jesus is revealed in each book, and Jesus is revealed in Scripture. It's going to be uh, great to see it as we progress along. And just unique today, a whole lot there, obviously, but we'll get a, a snapshot. Here's our, our core phrase with all this. Biblically impoverished people live poorly constructed lives. If you've not passed your book down, on the end of the row, there's a, a book, and you can take a moment, get signed in, pass that down, and take out your note card, because um, you'll see in that note card there are places that you can fill in the blanks. It just kind of helps you track this and get a few key statements today that will be helpful to you. Biblically impoverished people live poorly constructed lives. It's a unique statement, but it's an absolute reality. The more we neglect Scripture, the more we neglect God's Word in our lives, the less capable we are of building and constructing the life that God desires for us to have. So we want to try and press in and embrace wisdom on a new level. How many of you in this room would agree you need wisdom? Can I just see your hand? You need wisdom. Okay, the Bible says ask for wisdom and God will give it to us. He reveals wisdom in His Word and we can pursue that. Um, and here's a great illustration of somebody who needed, let me just say this, wisdom doesn't always open the mouth and let it out. How many of you know that's true? How many of you ever said something you wish you hadn't? Like me, first service type thing. Okay, and so uh, wisdom knows sometimes it's better just to be quiet because if you start talking, people figure out you don't know maybe more than you want them to realize. Husbands say he is uh, basically more urban or rural, Kathy. I don't know what they mean. <laughs> well, you know it. Uh, I mean, you married him. What do you think? Uh, uh, heck, he's urban. He's urban. Yeah. How long has he been that way? About two months. Two months he's been. Do you, you think there's anything he can do about it? He went to a doctor. Oh, he did? <laughs> did, did the, the doctor give him anything for his urban? He gave me something. Gave So there you have it. Uh, if you don't know, just kind of keep it, keep it tight. So here's the thing as we talk about the uh, discovery of wisdom in all of our lives. Entering in, have you ever just like had a conversation with somebody and the conversation was just enriched with incredible wisdom? Entering into conversations with people who are filled with wisdom is like coming into a room filled with inspiring treasure. Now think about that. Like there are things that they'll say that just awaken you and it's like coming into a room filled with inspiring treasure that you can examine and enjoy and value and appreciate. We all want to be that. And the more we discover Christ, the more we learn His values in our lives, the more we learn to walk in wisdom. So uh, as I started thinking about Jesus in Psalms, the most common thing, and your mind probably goes there as well, because mine did immediately, and I thought, well, I'll do a message out of Psalm 23 where clearly Psalms reveals Jesus, uh, the Lord is our shepherd, right? And Jesus is revealed as the good shepherd. And so I thought about that, but then I just felt like the Lord was asking me 
to reconsider and reevaluate. And I started looking at it all. And there's a chapter right before Psalms 23 that is so profound. Uh, I'm going to break this down for you today. It's Psalms 22. And I want you to think about this is written almost a thousand years before Jesus came. This is written almost a thousand years before they pierced his feet and hands. This is written almost a thousand years before he's crucified to the cross and he's there and they're gambling over his garments. This is almost a thousand years before the Son of God is hanging on a cross saying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This is almost a thousand years. And let's take a look at what God inspired David to write almost a thousand years before Jesus came to reveal the Messiah. It's an incredible prophetic declaration. Psalm 22, 1 starts off, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It goes on to say something so curious in verse 6, which we're going to ex- explain and understand today. I am a worm and not a man scorned by men and despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They hurl insults, shaking their heads. A band of evil men has encircled me. They have pierced my hands and my feet. They divide my garments among them and cast lots for my clothing. Now, this is an incredible picture of the Messiah who would come 10 centuries later, almost a 1,000 years later after this would be written. Now, when you read that and you realize, you know, God's pretty awesome. Like, he's pretty amazing to reveal something so far in advance that was so specific in detail. And, and remember, this says, I am a worm. Just say the word worm, would you? Worm. Okay, we're going to understand that today, but that is really a unique thing to be tossed in the mix of all this. And this is what I, I want us to see as we progress through and just get a little bit of an understanding of the book of Psalms and where Jesus is revealed throughout the book of Psalms. Psalms are, are songs and worshipful expressions that are written in moments of intense pressure. They're written in moments, and many of them are written in moments of intense pain. So the question that I think all of us have to answer and really resolve within ourselves, how do we handle pain and how do we handle pressure? And we're going to see how David dealt with this, but here's the thing I figured out. Would you agree with this? Everybody wants to be a diamond. Nobody wants to go through the intense process of heat and pressure required to get there. I posted it on social media uh, one time, no pressure, no diamonds. And when I posted that, a young lady actually chimed in and she, she put a little note on there. And she said, this not only applies maybe emotionally in my life, but this also applies relationally. Because I told the boy, we're going to get married. No pressure, no diamond. So we need to understand the pressure actually produces something, all kidding aside, deep within us that's very purposeful, that's very intentional, that helps us to become more of what God wants us to become. And, and some of the Psalms, they're actually, uh, you know, additional notations as you're reading that show portions of Scripture where something was happening. So you understand a little bit of where David's coming from and some of these things that he's writing. And in Psalm 63, we find that it's linked to something taking place in 1 Samuel 23. So I want to give you a verse out of 1 Samuel 23, and then we'll read the psalm that was born out of this intense pressure in David's life. 1 Samuel 23, verse 14, Saul sought him every day, but God did not deliver him into his hand. Saul sought to kill David 
every day. This was a daily, relentless pursuit of a jealous king who was angry and wanted to destroy David's life. And, and imagine now, David, he's responding to this, and he's, he's running for his life. This, in, in this context, David is in the rocky, hot desert of Judah, and this is an incredible place. Of, of, there's not water to be found. He's desperate to survive, desperate to live, desperate to exist, desperate to get free from this king that's chasing him. And out of that, with that in mind, I want you to think about what, what these words really mean. Psalm 63, verse 1, and how David responds. Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My body longs for you. In a dry and weary land where there is no water, I have seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and your glory because your love is better than life. Do you hear this? In the midst of running for his life, because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live, and in your name I will lift up my hands. How many of you in this room are walking through painful pressure situations, and you need to make this declaration today, my lips will glorify my God no matter how much the pain may be. I will identify with the purpose God is trying to draw out of me in this moment and in this scenario in my life. I want to awaken your faith today to hear the word of the Lord. There's something in every one of us that can, can literally rock our circumstances, defeat a giant, move a mountain, no matter what it may be, sustain our life. But it requires us to step into this worshipful perspective before the Lord our God. None of us will ever be the person we can be if all pressure, tension, and discipline are taken out of our lives. Now, I don't want pressure. I don't want stress. But I won't be the man I can be if that's all removed. And, and isn't it true? All of us kind of have this idea. Our faith helps us kind of, you know, be, avoid the mountain and our faith, you know, it helps us get away from the giant. And listen, faith is not to make things easy. Faith is to make things possible. We all need to understand today, faith makes things possible, not easy. Circumstances that are impossible, faith suddenly begins to convert that and turn it around. But that doesn't mean you're not going to come face to face with a giant. That doesn't mean you're not going to come face to face with a doctor's report. That doesn't mean you're gonna, not going to come face to face with a job loss situation. That doesn't mean you're not going to come face to face with difficulty in your life. Whatever it may be, your family, your finance, it doesn't mean you're not going to face difficulty. It simply means that difficulty is not going to define me. God is going to define who I am, and I will walk in the purposes of God. Come on, why don't you just celebrate the purposes of God prevailing in your life? Somebody ought to shout today and declare the power of God is being revealed in our lives. I want to awaken something within you as the church. You are mighty men and women of God. You are not victims of circumstance. You do not have to be tossed to and fro by whatever it is that you face. You can rise up in the power of God Almighty. Do it. Let your praise be something profound that's releasing in the atmosphere of your life and your future. We are not thermostats 
Uh, you know, when we look at this whole perspective, I'm sorry, we're not thermometers, we're thermostats. When we look at this and we see a thermometer, a thermometer simply tells us what the temperature is. A thermostat changes the temperature. And I believe God wants us to be agents of change in this world, not victims of circumstance. A clay pot that sits in the sun all day long, at the end of the day, what is that clay pot? It's just a clay pot. But a clay pot that's submitted to the intense, white-hot fire of a furnace stops being a clay pot and becomes porcelain. Nobody wants to go through the fire, but we all want to become something great. And people in our world and history doesn't talk about people that had it easy. People, uh, history talks about people that rose above the circumstance that tried to knock them down, but they chose to refuse to stay down. I, and I just want to recognize, uh, it's really key in my view, but uh, Jeff and Chrissy Henderson offering, you know, Chrissy leading worship and, and, and all the things that she does in, in her role here and, and Jeff um, both of them, you know, coming through so many years of faithfulness and relationship with us here. But Jeff, a graduate of our school, and, and I mean, things look so grand for them. Like, you know, four kids, happy family, always smiling. Kids are awesome. And, and they are going through so much right now. Like, you don't know what's going on in their life. You know, we shouldn't know everything going on in everybody's life, though Facebook tends to be an avenue for that. But... They are going through so much, and they've not just been broadcasting all of it, but I mean, like, they would tell me what's going on. I'm just thinking, are you kidding? This is like crazy. And, and in a meeting this last week, Jeff said something, and it so stuck with me. I just felt it was something for all of us because it's pain. I mean, like, you see worship and all the involvement, different things. Our men's event this past Friday, thanks to all you guys who came out. Thanks to the worship team who helped with all of that, the decor, everything going on. It's great. And there Chrissy was right in the middle of it. And Jeff made this statement, and it was so profound because I know the depth of what they're walking through right now, and, and God is able. But he just said, everybody keeps telling me, just look to God and endure the season. Just look, God will get you through. Just endure the season. You can do it. You can make it. Just endure the season. And he said, I felt the Lord say to me, do not merely endure the season, embrace the season. There's something for you in the midst of this valley, this difficulty, this pain. I want to say to you, don't just endure the stuff you go through. Embrace what you go through and figure out what God wants to do in you in those difficult moments in time. I'm squaring off right now with some marriages in this place that are dealing with great difficulty. Don't just endure. Embrace and become what God's called you to become. I just feel God wants to fight for us today, and we need to participate in the fight. We will not merely endure the season. We will embrace the season. Here's the thing. Even your enemies are used by God to further your life if you're willing to identify with your purpose in the midst of your pain. Did you get that? Even your enemies are used by God if you'll identify with purpose rather than the pain. If you focus on the pain, you're prone to miss the point, but you focus on the purpose of God. God, in the midst of this, make me become more of what you want me to be. 
And this is what the Psalms are all about. Like David, and David's not the only author. You can go to the blog and, and read a lot more detail on all this, but he, he authored the majority of all of the Psalms. And in and, and this whole progression, so many times he's under intense pressure, and he says, I'll lift my hands to my God. I will worship my God. How do you respond to these difficult moments in your life? Do you start casting blame on people? Do you start coming up with reasons why if this was different, if that was different? Why don't you stop all that nonsense? Stop identifying with the pain and discover the purpose in the midst of it and declare, I will serve the Lord my God. As for me and my house, no matter what we're walking through, we are going to lift up the name of Jesus. Pain becomes purpose when hurt produces fruit. Now, I want to tell you how to do that. It's a nice statement, but let's understand it. Pain becomes purpose when hurt produces fruit, and pain becomes poison when hurt produces hate. You pay a great price for your suffering. So let me encourage you not to waste it. Pain can become purpose if you will allow your hurt to become fruit. But, and we'll talk about how, but let's just get this out there and make sure you understand. Pain is truly poison if your hurt becomes hate. How many ever let your wounds become your weapons? How many of you know what I'm talking about? You can justify your revenge. And when your wound becomes your weapon, you're justifying your revenge. And God will have nothing to do with it. But if you'll allow that hurt to begin to produce fruit, and we see this so clearly in the message paraphrase of Scripture, 2 Corinthians 1.4, and it says this, Jesus comes alongside us so that when we go through hard times, when we're facing pain, before you know it, He brings us alongside someone else who's going through hard times so that we can be there for that person just as God was there for us. Isn't that beautiful? Like when you're going through pain, look to him to strengthen you. I'm going to kind of venture into something. I didn't give this to the first service, but let me just explain something to you. Great ministry is built on huge weakness when we manage weakness well. I know of two marriage ministries that were born from two married couples who almost killed each other but stuck it out and saw it through. And on the huge difficulties that they kept facing, coming back, they were, we're not going to give up. We're going to read books. We're going to get counsel. We're going to get input. We're going to get help. They kept on dealing with this huge crevice of, of life that was going on. And out of that was born so much that they then were able to help people dealing with marital struggles that, that maybe other people can't even identify with. Do you understand that out of your great weakness is born great strength when we surrender it to the Lord Jesus? Christ. That's why the Bible says in your weakness you are made strong because in your weakness that's when you let it go and you say I can't figure this out on my own. I can't do this on my own. God it's going gonna, it's gonna to have to be you because I'm not willing to do it. I'm not able to do it. And that's when you're empowered to be mighty in Christ. Wisdom focuses on others. Wisdom focuses on others. I, I, I just Feel the Lord uh, impressing me something before we move on. How many of you have something in your history you're embarrassed about? Can I just see? Like you just failed God and you want to admit it. Like hold them up there. Let me just say something to you. That is likely a clue to your call. It is likely an indication of an area that you have great passion for and you are keenly aware of. 
And if you will stop buying into the lies of the enemy about that particular area of your life as if it's some huge failure and start embracing that God takes our pain and produces purpose when we allow him to convert hurt into fruit. Wisdom focuses on others. It's easy to to just be self-centered, self-absorbed, but wisdom focuses on others. And here's the thing. Jesus' mission cost him his life because his mission was not this life. (laughs) Do you get that? Jesus' mission cost him his life because his mission was not this life. Your mission is bigger than this life. Your mission is bigger than having the best life you can possible have. You remember that verse that we started with? Psalm 22, 6. I am a what? A worm. I am what? Say it. A worm. I read stuff like that in the Bible. I don't know about you, but I read stuff like that, and when it doesn't make sense to me, then I just want to find out. Like, I read one time, don't cook a baby goat in its mother's milk. And I thought, well, that's just crazy. I'm, I, how many of you are never tempted to cook a baby goat in its mother's milk? Are you okay? We're going to be obedient on that one. But I found out when I studied it that actually because milk processes through your system so quickly, you can drink milk and it doesn't spoil. But if you cook meat in milk, the the bacterial substance of the milk absorbs into the meat and the meat stays in your system too long and it putrefies, does what basically a a bowl of milk would do sitting out at a 100 degree temperature for three days and was poisoning people and killing them. And the Bible is actually written to protect us and preserve us. So I read this type of stuff and I think, help me understand. And so a worm, what is this worm? Here's the worm. It's incredible. Jesus is in the Old Testament. How many of you believe it? He's like everywhere. This is crazy. What I'm about to tell you, you're going to want to look it up yourself. Tons of stuff on this. Got more on the blog if you want to look at it. But the worm is a specific Hebrew word referencing the crimson grub. The crimson grub worm is what David was referencing. The crimson grub worm had a king's decree, a protective order to preserve the life of the worm. Isn't that funny? Like, nobody kills the worm or you're in big trouble with the king. Why would the king even care about a worm? Because the crimson uh, grub worm had such rich red blood that the worm was actually used uh, to create the dye that colored the garments of the royal family. You had to crush the worm to provide the garments for the royal family. You get this. How I many you know Jesus was crushed for our iniquities, that you and I might be clothed with Christ, Galatians chapter 3, and that we then are clothed as royalty. We're a royal priesthood. We are a holy nation. We are not good people. We're righteous people. We're not merely righteous. We are the righteousness of God. How did we get there? Because Jesus was crushed so that you and I could live. Jesus was crushed so that you and I could become royalty. Jesus was crushed so that you and I could be healed and whole and well and understand more about the very nature of God in our lives. And it gets crazy because like this worm, when it's going to die, it attaches itself to a tree. And Jesus was crucified 
on a tree. And, and the female worm, when it attaches itself to the tree and it dies, that's when its eggs hatch and life is born from its death after it's attached to the tree. And they, they talk about, in one of the articles I was reading, they were talking about there's a harvest time and you have to get that worm after it hatches the eggs and after life comes, you've got a span of time in there that you have to get the worm before the blood dries up and no longer will work in the dye. Guess how long? Three days. You have three days after that worm attaches to a tree and life comes from its death. And then out of that death, that worm is ground up and the dye is released and kings wear the garment. That's the result. Come on, kings and priests, prophets and mighty men and women of God. Why don't you stand up and let's give Jesus praise today? Why don't you give him praise, like shout with your voice and clap with your hands and declare, you will live and you will not die, and you will reign in the way God has desired for you to reign. Somebody shout and bless his name today. Bless you, Lord. Jesus. Fill us with your spirit, Lord. Anoint us with your power. The anointing of God destroys every yoke of bondage, according to Isaiah 10, 27. I hear the Lord saying that in this room today, right now, there are some bondages to be destroyed. Will you allow the shackles to fall off as you, as you press in to what God desires? Will you allow restoration to happen as you get your focus off of yourself and you get your focus on the lives of others, as you stop dwelling on the pain and start identifying with the purpose? Lord Jesus, Holy Spirit, we don't want to play church. We don't want to gather to fulfill our religious obligation. We want to be the church. We are hoping God will reach our city. God is hoping we will reach our city. It's not until the purposes of God are awakened in our lives that we can actually get beyond ourselves and suddenly begin to function like the kings and prophets and priests that he's called us to be and he's anointed us to accomplish. Thank you, Lord. I want to say it with audacity. I want to say it with gusto. I want to say it with boldness. I want to say it with anointing. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done through our surrendered, available lives. Thy kingdom come. As we follow your example, thy will be done through our surrender and our sacrifice. In the name of Jesus.